0: You're a wimp if you can't get up at 5 a.m. and run a million miles and lift a bunch of weights. Let me just settle that argument right now. It's genetically predetermined. You're fighting your genetics. It's literally like, look, I'm 5'9", and I'll never dunk a basketball. I'm just not going to do it. Like, I just don't have the hops. I don't have it in me. It's never going to happen because my genetics are probably making it that way. The same holds true for your chronotype. You know, like you've got to layer in and stick with your chronotype as best you can based on your work and social schedule.
1: Hello, friend, and welcome to episode 50 of the Feeling Full Podcast. I'm Orichai, an entrepreneur and coach who struggled with being overweight for nearly two decades. But since 2012, I've lost 130 pounds and have kept it off. Join me and my guest today to discover how it's possible and even simple to lose weight with ease without going on crazy diets, without doing intense workouts. If you're ready to give up quick fixes and fad diets and build a fulfilling relationship with your body and food, then the show is for you. Today, my guest is Michael Beruce, PhD. Michael Barus is a clinical psychologist, author, and sleep doctor. His fourth book is all about living a life with really good energy, and it drops December 14th, and it's called Energize. I don't know about you, my friend, but I'm always trying to figure out how I can have better energy, more energy, and Michael's been exploring this work for over 14 years. So in today's conversation, we talk about your sleep patterns, why they matter, how to have better energy throughout the day, the different types of energy you could have, and tips to live a life where you feel your best. Alrighty, thanks for joining, and let's jump right in. When I was reading your book, one of the things that I was most intrigued by is how simple you made this whole idea of being really energized. And yeah, when I, I was just really excited to have you back on the show, this is the second time actually you were on the You Are Feeling Full podcast, you were one of my first interviews. And I just was really impressed by how much everyone loved that interview. So I'm really excited to have you back. And congratulations on a new book. Thanks.
0: Energize. I'm super excited to be back. Like you were saying, the seems like a lot of people were, were listening last time. So I'm excited to talk to another to an audience again, that's really interested in sleep, energy and how to feel better.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to get into all of that. Last time we dug really deep into sleep, you kind of schooled us all on our different chronotypes, and how you rebranded all the chronotypes actually. And i still remember that I am a lion. I'm just trying to pull up what episode that was. Episode thirteen. That episode was all about you know how to sleep well and how your weight is impacted by your sleep. Right. So I want to dive in today. Well, maybe we can talk a little bit about sleep, but I want to dive in today to to help people understand how to be energized throughout the day, right? To not need that extra cup of coffee, to not feel sluggish midday, and we'll get into all of that. But let's just start with the baseline of sleep. Top line. Why don't we talk a little about the chronotypes and give us the five thousand mile view?
0: Absolutely. So to remind people, chronotypes are a theory that you might not have heard the word chronotype, but you've actually heard of the theory before. If you've ever been called an early bird or a night owl, those are chronotypes. So my contribution to the literature was we always knew that there were three chronotypes, right? There was early birds or people who wake up very early in the morning. I call them lions as a reminder. People who are in the middle, right? That's you, brother. People in the middle, we used to call them hummingbirds. I call them bears night owls turned into wolves. That's my chronotype. I'm a night owl wolf person. And then what I contributed to the literature was a fourth chronotype or insomniacs who I call a dolphin. And so what was so interesting is these are genetically predetermined sleep schedules. So if I looked in your 23andMe data or your ancestry.com data, I could actually tell you which one of the four of these that you are, Based on these things called single nucleotide polymorphisms or SNPs, little aberrations in your DNA that would make you an early bird or a night owl or in the middle or an insomniac. So, understanding those conceptually becomes an important aspect to the book. So, if people want to learn more about their chronotype, go to www.chronoquiz.com and you'll learn more than you've ever wanted to know. But that gives you a bit of a basis for what my third book was all about. This book. Actually, leverages what we understand and learn from there, and has moved it a significant steps forward.
1: Yeah, first of all, the chronotype thing is really interesting, and I, I maybe just talk a little bit about why the chronotypes are important to understand for your actual life. Because it sounds great in theory, and then in right. practical terms, how do why is it important?
0: What the heck do I do with it? Right. So here's the cool parts about chronotypes. So think of it like this: Let's say you're a lion chronotype, right? Yeah and I'm a wolf. So you're the early bird and I'm the night owl. So if you and I were hanging out together, let's say you turned to me and you said, Hey, Michael, I want to meet you at seven o'clock in the morning to go for a run. Okay. Here's why your brain wants to do that. And my brain doesn't want to do that. Your brain wakes up at let's say six or even five 30 in the morning, alert, ready to go. And your melatonin hormone stops. And then all your other hormones start cortisol, adrenaline, dopamine serotonin, all of these things go in by the way, a very predictable pattern. I have the exact same pattern, but mine doesn't start for like two and a half hours later than yours. So if your melatonin is turning off at let's say 6am, mine doesn't want to turn off until like 7.30. So you asking me to go for a run at seven o'clock sounds terrible to me, even though we have similar hormonal patterns, the timing is very different. So when we look at chronotypes, we can actually find the perfect time of day based on your chronotype to literally do anything. I can teach people the best time to have sex, eat a cheeseburger, ask their boss for a raise, go to sleep, drink coffee, work out, literally you name it, and there's a specific time based on your chronotype where your hormones will naturally be at a peak and you'll be able to take full advantage of it.
1: To the chronotype point, is there is there a way for people to actually change Chronotype, not you can't change your chronotype necessarily, but change your preferences. Like, can someone who's a morning person turn into an I don't want to say a night owl, but that's a really big extreme. But like Yeah,
0: that would be well. Here's one thing that does happen that I think you might find interesting is we call this chrono longevity. So this is that believe it or not, everyone goes through all of the chronotypes throughout their lifespan. So if you think about it, when you're an itty bitty baby, you're a lion, right? You go to bed early, you wake up early, you know, when you're an infant, right? Then when you're a toddler kind of middle schooler, you're a bear. You go to bed around seven o'clock, you wake up around seven o'clock, everything's fine. When you're a teenager, you become a wolf. You wanna stay up until one o'clock in the morning and sleep until one o'clock in the afternoon. I'm sure you remember those days from high school. And then a dolphin is more of a situation that happens when there's a problem that arises. Now, once you hit teenager universe and you get to about age 19 or 20, Your chronotype sets, which means it's going to stick to one thing for about 30 to 40 years, believe it or not, until you reach your mid fifties, which is where I am now. And then we actually start to see your chronotype shift again. So if you've ever hung out with your grandparents and they're like, hey, it's 4.30, it's time for dinner. And you're like, what are you talking about? That's because they've shifted earlier backwards, if you will, towards an earlier chronotype. This is a natural occurrence, but it is something that occurs for everyone. So everyone can actually go through all three of the chronotypes. The fourth one being insomnia, many people won't go through that. In fact, only 10 to 15% of people will actually be an insomnia chronotype, but you do go through all of them. Now, the other question that people ask me, which is sort of similar to what you said was, well, what if I don't want to be a night owl? (laughs) You know, like what if I want to be an early bird and force myself into that early schedule, right? Now, we call that lion envy, by the way, people are envious of you more than but at the end of the day, it's very hard to switch more than one chronotypical space, if you will. So going from a bear, which is a middle of the road person to an early bird is not that hard, but trying to go from a night owl to an early bird, it's really not going to work out well for you in the long run.
1: I hear often people trying to get up earlier and they can't, right? And it's often looked at like a lack of willpower.
0: Oh, yeah, you're you're a wimp if you can't get up at 5 a.m. and run a million miles and lift a bunch of weights. Let me just settle that argument right now. It's genetically predetermined. You're fighting your genetics. It's literally like, look, I'm 5'9", and I'll never dunk a basketball. I'm just not going to do it. Like, I just don't have the hops. I don't have it in me. It's never going to happen because my genetics are probably making it that way. The same holds true for your chronotype. You know, like you've got to layer in and stick with your chronotype as best you can based on your work and social schedule. Yeah, it's easier than you think. Here's the funniest part: is during the pandemic, everybody had the opportunity to sleep based on their chronotype, right? Because mm. nobody was going to work, right? Everything was shelter in place, and you were zooming into work. I mean, most people were. So what ended up happening was there was a lot of flex in your go to bed time and in your uh, wake up time. Unfortunately. Almost nobody took advantage of it the way I would have liked them to. So, as an example, if you were a lion and it was hard for you to have a lion's schedule during the pandemic, it's not that hard for you to have a lion's schedule, right? If you're a night owl, same holds true. You can shift your schedule a little bit and it makes it a little bit easier to tolerate.
1: So, let's shift to just talking about, you know, obviously sleep is a big indicator for somebody to have optimal energy, right? You know, we talk about. Right. having a minimum of seven and a half hours of sleep is typically what's required. What other things are the pillars to have and feel like
0: you're energized throughout the day? So first of all, there's a lot of different kinds of energy. <laughs>
1: well, why don't we right? start there?
0: So one of the things that I like to do is kind of break down different types of energy. Because when I was writing the book, to be fair, you know, you start to think about it and you're like, hmm, like, how do you define, it's kind of like, how do you define sleep? sleep's easy because there's stages there are cycles you know there's science behind it but what's the science of energy right and and how does that work it took a little thinking but i broke energy down into what i call let's say three or four different types of energy right so one is resting energy so not asleep but lying still and quiet how does that give you energy well i'll explain that in a moment number two is eating energy so fuel kind of makes sense right you got to have fuel in The third is movement energy. So you ever notice when you move, you get energy. (laughs) And then the fourth one is emotional energy. Now, a lot of people like to ask me a lot about this. Like, what do you mean emotional energy, Michael? Well, here's a great example. If you're driving along and your favorite song comes on the radio, what do you do? You crank the volume and you start bopping around. You start singing out loud if you're in the car by yourself, maybe with the partner who knows. Um, But all of a sudden, it instantly gives you energy right? That's an example of emotional energy. Another great one, laughing. So um, I tell people all the time, look, if you want to change your energy, if you want to give yourself more energy, throw on the comedy channel for 15 minutes in the middle of your day and watch uh, you know, your favorite comedian. It will change your perspective. I can assure you, you will go back to work with a different energy. So thinking through the different four types of energy, we've actually been able to define them for people. And then we actually have people monitor their energy level and see which one is lacking and then add to it.
1: So if I'm feeling sluggish every day at the same time, probably around three o'clock, I would say.
0: So that particular time is extremely common for people. Many people don't know it, but we have a small dip in our core body temperature right around that time. That's a signal to our brain to release melatonin. So lots of people get sleepy somewhere between one and three in the afternoon. So that is a resting energy time. So what could you do during that period of time? If you didn't get more than like five, five and a half hours of sleep, it's a perfect time to take a nap right? Napping or sleeping gives you energy. So taking a 15 to 20 minute nap right in that time zone could actually work out well. Another thing that you could do if you're sleepy during that time is we actually ask you to monitor your energy for five times throughout the day. So right after you wake up early kind of afternoon, after lunch, before dinner, and then before bed, if you start to notice, so we have you, we ask you to monitor yourself for one week on a scale of one to 10. So once you do that, you start to find out where your energy highs and lows are, and then you start determining which energy is low and which energy is high. So at three o'clock in the afternoon, my guess is you haven't moved a whole lot during the day. So your moving energy is probably lacking. You've probably been sitting all day, which is probably never a good idea anyway. Also, depending upon what you ate, your eating energy could be off. You could have eaten something that causes you to feel sleepy. For example, things that are high in carbohydrates have a tendency to be very sleep inducing as an example, or you're eating at a time that's making you more sleepy than more energetic. So we would take a look at that and the book actually shows you exactly what to do.
1: I love the idea of measuring and tracking it because I have no idea why I feel tired at three in the afternoon. I like the idea of moving more during the day because I move mostly in the morning. And then throughout the day, I'm by the computer a lot and I don't move a lot until the evening again, where I go for usually a walk. So it's like,
0: that's kind of the routine. Right. So you've got this gap of inactivity down there, right? So let's, let's use, if we can, let, do you mind if yeah. we use you in this example? No, please. So on average, you probably move around a little bit at lunch. Maybe you get up, go somewhere, go to lunch, what have you. But let's say you're pretty stable by about one o'clock, right? Then you're not doing anything, 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 probably physical until probably five, five thirty 30 or something like yeah. that. When you go to take a yeah, walk, about
1: right. that's about right.
0: So having that long of a period of inactivity definitely zaps your energy, because here's what happens when you're not moving to create energy, your body has to take it from some place. So it takes it from your food reserves. It might take it from your emotional reserves, things like that. So you can definitely get tired. So we actually have a very unique program. We call it the five by five. So it's a movement program that you do at five separate times during the day. So you know how I asked, told you before, we have you check your energy five times a day. Well, once you get in the habit of doing that, which only takes a couple of days, we then flip it and say, those are the five times that we want you to move. Now, to be clear, this isn't movement exercise movement. This isn't like I'm going to get bigger, stronger muscles or better cardio from this. This is energy movement. So you have different exercises at each time of day. So as an example, in the morning time, right after you got up, we would do a stretch. So we have very particular stretches and that allows for your body to kind of, you know, wake up, kind of get the kinks out from your night of of sleep. The next three energy times, which is the period of time that we're talking about where you have a tendency to slow down, there are three different things that you can try. One is called a shake. So you ever notice how animals, when they when they wake up, they, oh, you know, yeah. they do the shake thing? So believe it or not, that actually gives you energy. Shaking your hands, shaking your legs, shaking your head. Now, don't do it too hard or vigorously, and we show you exactly how to do a type of thing. Shake is a good one. Bounce turns out to be another good one. You're thinking, bounce, what the hell are you talking about, Michael? jumping jacks, or just literally jumping up and down. Skipping is a form to be clear. My wife laughs at me if I'm skipping down the driveway, but I do it. And I have to tell you, it's a lot more fun than you might imagine it being. I mean, I look kind of silly, but at the end (laughs) of the day, I really feel energetic. Like I'm skipping, like when was the last time you skipped, right? I mean, who the hell knows? So the bounce is really nice. And then the last one during the day, a little bit later in the evening is a build. So you're using a major muscle group. So it's push-ups. It's sit ups again, only for five minutes. You don't even break a sweat with any of these. And then the final movement category is at the end of the day, same for everyone, which is balance. So we have people doing a tree pose or things of that nature, because it really Mm. helps calm your mind down and kind of get you back into it. So the movement, I think, would be key for you because you see you have that long period of inactivity. I think breaking that up with a build or a bounce could really be helpful for you.
1: I'm going to try that out. I'll let you know how it goes please do. So it sounds like you're really in tune with your energy. I mean, you're, you're in tune with your body. I mean, this is what you do. It's what you teach. You've helped a lot of people for people who don't remember how good they can feel. Like, you know, when we were 16, 18, 20, 25, whatever, we maybe had a lot more energy than we do, you know, later on in life, you know, and sometimes you forget, you just forget how good you felt and how good you can feel how does someone even look at that to understand if they even need more energy, if they're just feeling like they're
0: not so in touch with that mm-hmm. thermometer? First of all, think about it for a second. When do you think about your energy? You only think about it when you don't have it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you only I think exactly. about it when you're like, oh, right. I'm dragging ass. I'm, I don't want to go do this. Oh, I got to get on this podcast with the sleep doctor, dude. Uh, You know, like, like only thinking about it when it's low. And so that's why we have you monitor your energy at five specific times during the day, because you start to see where your energy flow is. Now, I will tell you that what's been interesting is for some people who've never even considered talking about or thinking about their energy, the first week that they do that, it is the data isn't that great because they're not used to what you've already correctly identified monitoring their energy. So some people, it takes a little bit longer than a week, but once they get into the swing of it, they start to understand it's like, oh. Every time I commute to work, you know, if I'm not listening to music, it's a low energetic time for me. So I need to keep that music pumping for me to feel good by the time I get there type of thing. So using the energy score or the energy five times a day is actually the way we teach people how to do that. And for some people, we just have them do one thing right? So if it's just intermittent fasting, or it's just the movements, or it's just sleeping based on your chronotype, and then we ask them again, monitor your energy, how are you feeling? And a lot of times if we can build on that, so we start with sleep, then we move to fuel, then we move to movement, it actually works out pretty well.
1: Yeah, I love that approach, starting with one thing in general, just because that kind of can create the habit patterns around it.
0: It's so overwhelming. Otherwise, yeah, right. It's like, dude, you want me to change everything about my life? No way. And then they don't. And then they don't. You know, they're not interested, and they don't follow the rules. We have it in a very simple format of things that you can do very, very easily to make your life much more energetic.
1: Now, I think some people would think that if they were out of shape or felt like they were overweight, or whatever that, whatever that was, they mm-hmm. naturally have a lower energy.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. So here's what's interesting. So you bring up the idea of body type. Right. So the biggest aspect of the book that's new is we took the chronotypes, the four chronotypes, and we added the three body types. So when we're talking about body types, there are actually three different types. There's endomorph, ectomorph, and mesomorph. Now you got to remember all the way back to high school biology, because that's when I first learned them. I don't know about, about you and your audience. But let me go over what they are so we can dive into the question a little bit more. So an ectomorph is a long and lean person right? Has tended to be a little bit on the thinner side. A mesomorph, more V-shaped, doesn't really put on a lot of pounds unless it's in the shoulder kind of chest area. The endomorphs, those are the people that have a tendency to be a little bit bigger. Maybe they put weight on their their hips, or if you're a guy, more, more the spare tire, if you will, around the belly, those types of things. When we look at those body types, it turns out that those are based on metabolism. So long and lean is a fast metabolism. Medium is a medium metabolism. And endomorphs, a little bit bigger, people have a slower metabolism. Now, you asked me about exercise and like, well, what exercise would somebody want to do if they were maybe a little bit on the bigger side? We're not going to go ask them to run a marathon, right? It doesn't going to work. So we actually have tailored the exercises and the movements based on your body type and what's more motivating. So as an example, when we've got a long and lean ectomorph, Well, then we're having them do higher energy, more aerobic types of exercises because their bodies are built for it, right? Whereas if we have a slower moving endomorph, cardiac isn't the first thing that's on the list. We might do more stretching. We might do more build exercises where we're working bigger muscle groups, because here's the biggest problem is when you start an exercise program, most people don't continue. And the reason they don't continue is because they fail at whatever the exercise is, or it doesn't make them feel good. So we've actually dug deep into that from a personality perspective to really dig into what are the exercise or the exercise types that these different body types like, then we assign them accordingly and people have a tendency to really like them. You know, the mesomorphs, which is kind of more my body type, we can do both. We can do cardio at one point, we can do more static at the next. And so we switch them all up. What's the third one? So there's endomorph, which Endom- is endomorph. A- bigger right. people, mesomorph, which is kind of the muscular people in the middle and ectomorph, which is the long and lean skinny people.
1: So the first one, that's me. I'm definitely an endomorph. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. I'm an endomorph. I, I have slow metabolism. I looked at the pictures in the book and I can see my build is definitely
0: mm-hmm.
1: an endomorph build. And I'm curious in general, I like to, I, I prefer to lift weights over cardio. And I wonder that's right. You're smiling. That like I said, it. yeah. <laughs> I, right? It takes me a lot of energy to convince myself to go for a run.
0: Right, exactly. But but I heard you say earlier that you will go for a walk in the afternoons, right?
1: Well, yeah, walking I can get on board with. I don't mind going for long walks,
0: and and that's a perfect. You just exemplified it perfectly. So that's what we do: is we take an endomorph like you, and instead of telling them to do cardio, we ask them to go for a walk, maybe even a fast walk. You you could probably if I could, if I got you to do a walk for three days, I could get you to do a fast walk on the yeah. First
1: yeah. Right. I, th- I think that's right. So you're, you're basically scaling down to the easiest version of I know cardio is important. I'll try to go for a run once a week, but it takes a lot of caffeine to do that.
0: Right. And yeah. what's fun about that, right? Then you're all jittered out from the caffeine. Maybe you get a decent run in, maybe you don't, but you could get the same amount of energy, not necessarily physical workout, but energy from walking for yeah. five minutes during the day. Right. At, at the correct yeah, it feels so good. A Perfect example.
1: Yeah. I love walking the strong suits of the other types, more cardio on you're not an endomorph. I can't remember these names. I'm a mesomorph.
0: So mesomorph. I'm and
1: mm-hmm. so you can do either cardio or weightlifting or those kinds of workouts. And yeah. the
0: ectomorphs, the long ectomorph. and means have a tendency to do more cardio.
1: Right. Wow. That's so interesting. I give
0: so much. Isn't context. that cool? Yeah. Like it, it's like, it, it's like the magic secret that opens up exercise for people. Where do you see what we figured out with intermittent fasting with body types and chronotypes? It's incredible.
1: Why don't we dive into the intermittent fasting? I would love to hear that.
0: Sure. Sure. So to be clear, I've been an intermittent faster for about five years now. Uh, I've been playing around with it quite a bit, just trying to learn more about it. And there's a, there's something that goes on in intermittent fasting called autophagy. So autophagy is a situation where your body basically burns through the carbs that are there and then starts using fat for energy. That's the goal of autophagy. And you have to have a long enough period of time for that to happen here's what we discovered, which was pretty damn cool. So I've been intermittent fasting based on my chronotype for a while now. So remember I'm a wolf, so I'm a night owl. So I don't even start my feeding period of time until one o'clock in the afternoon. Now, most people who are early morning people like a lion, like yourself, you would need to eat actually fairly early. You wouldn't want to go for a period of time in the morning of fasting. You would probably want to Wake up, do do whatever your exercise is if you're willing to do exercise in the morning, and then you probably have a good meal. Then you would actually start fasting earlier in the day, maybe at four o'clock in the afternoon or something along those lines. For me, I don't even start eating until one o'clock in the afternoon, and I would probably eat until much later. So basing the timing of when you fast based on your chronotype turns out to be incredibly efficient. Now I'm going to show you something else that we discovered that's pretty cool. So remember the three body types, endomorph, skinny, long and lean, mesomorphs, kind of muscular, endomorphs, a little bit on the bigger side. We can now know how long you fast based on your body type, right? So if you're long and lean, we don't want you to be fasting for 16 hours because that's too long. Your body will actually not do well with it. So my long and lean have a 12 and 12. They can eat for 12 hours and they can fast for 12 hours. My mesomorphs will actually fast for 14 hours and eat for 10. And my endomorphs a little bit on the bigger side who want to lose more weight, they can fast for 16 and eat for eight. And all of a sudden it starts to make sense. So you are a fast lion. Okay. Right. So you have, I'm sorry, you're a slow lion. You're an endomorph who's also a lion. So we create a power profile that calls you a slow lion. Now we know exactly when you should intermittent fast. You should be start eating in the morning. And since you're on the slower side, you can only eat for approximately eight hours. So let's say you start eating at seven. You would then eat until by three o'clock in the afternoon. Then you would stop and you would fast until seven the next day.
1: So I also do like, I, I probably do like 14, 15 hours. It's so easy for me to fast.
0: Especially if you're an endo more fasting longer is good. Now we just have to get you at the right time based on your chronotype.
1: Right. That's really interesting.
0: Yeah, we were pretty excited when we discovered that because all of a sudden it started working really well on people and it started working well for me. Um, when I changed my intermittent fasting schedule to later in the day, and then I only had it for 10 hours, it worked out really well for me because what I was doing was too much. So I don't know if you had a chance to check out the introduction of the book, but it talks about a cardiac event that I ended up having in the middle of a restaurant because I was I was doing too much. I had too small of a feeding window. I was pushing myself too hard on the exercise. Like I was going, 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 thinking I was going to reduce my stress because of course more is better. I had the big doctor heal thyself moment for sure, ending up on the floor of a restaurant and in the back of an ambulance. So, you know, I've, I've learned that science is a good thing, but you've got to hem it in, know your chronotype, know your body type, and then you can safely do all of these activities with consistent energy throughout the day.
1: I would love to share some of the things that you've discovered with your clients. Like some of the, mo- What are the, some of the most surprising things that you were like, do this at
0: that time? So everybody always wants to know about sex. So we might as well get that one out of the way and talk about when is the best time to have sex, all right? Because it's the number one question that I get <laughs> asked. So here's what's interesting is if you look at people and you look at their hormone profiles, it kind of gives you some hints or clues. So you need five hormones to be elevated to have successful intimacy. You need adrenaline, cortisol, progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone to all be high. And you need melatonin to be low. Okay. So those are the biggies that you need to think about. Now, what do you think your hormone profile looks like at 1030 at night?
1: Melatonin is really high. high, Melatonin is really high. Those
0: others are low. So that's hint number one.
1: (laughs) But that doesn't that depend on
0: your chronotype? So if somebody can depend on your chronotype. Absolutely. Absolutely. But follow, I'm going to give a general idea and then I'm going to zoom in on chronotypes specifically. So generally speaking, we know that I did, we did a survey, 74% of people like to be intimate between 1030 and 1130 at night, big surprise, looking at their hormone profile, it's literally the opposite of what we would want to see, right? We want to see melatonin down, melatonin is up. We want to see those five things up and they're all down. If we look at it in the morning time, the next day, what do most men wake up with in the morning? An erection. An erection. right? If that is not mother nature telling you when to use that thing, I don't know what is, brother. So when we look at it and you look at the hormone profile, testosterone, progesterone, estrogen, adrenaline, and cortisol are all elevated in the morning and melatonin is not. Now, does that mean you should always have morning sex? Well, that kind of depends upon your bed partner, um, number one. <laughs> number two is... There are times in the early evening where melatonin hasn't come on board, where you still have those hormones. So in the third book, The Power of When, we actually give you specific times. So you can put your chronotype across one and your partner's chronotype across the other axes. And we give you early evening and early morning times to try to have successful intimacy to see if it is more connected for you, if you perform better, all of those things. We talk about it in the book as well from a chronotype perspective. So that's one thing that people always wanna know is like, hey Michael, when's the best time to have sex? We kind of double tapped on when is the best time to intermittent fast. It's of course, based on your chronotype. Um, But there are two other areas that people always are interested in. One of them is caffeine. How does caffeine affect me? You mentioned, hey, I'm not gonna go for a run unless I got a bunch of caffeine in me type of thing. So understanding when caffeine should hit you is gonna be interesting. So as a wolf, being a night owl for me, I pretty much have to have caffeine in the mornings, um, or at least I used to. Now I actually have rarely have caffeine in the mornings, but for wolves, you want to end up having caffeine earlier in the morning if you can, because it can actually be quite helpful. But for a lot of people, it's just difficult for them to wake up in the mornings. And so finding that zone, if you will, works out really well. turns out 90 minutes after you wake up is perfect depending upon your chronotype. And if you wake up at the right chronotypical wake up time. So as a lion, your chronotypical wake-up time is probably, I don't know, 5.30, 6 o'clock, somewhere in there. Does that sound about right?
1: I'm better, I am better. It, that's in a late morning. I, I can get up as early as 4
0: or 4.30. So you're definitely a lion, right? So 4.30 to 5.30 is my average lion. I usually gun it at 5 because some people don't like to admit that they wake up at 4. But if you get up that early, I get it. So when you're looking at that, 90 minutes after that, that's when you would want to have caffeine. Because here's the thing. In order for your brain to wake up, you need adrenaline and cortisol to jack up while you're unconscious to pull your brain out of an unconscious state. And so your brain has got all this adrenaline and cortisol running around. When you pour caffeine on it, it doesn't really do a whole lot of good. If you compared adrenaline and cortisol to caffeine, that would be like comparing cocaine to weak tea in terms of how stimulating it is, right? So when your brain is all jacked up on cortisol, adding caffeine is not going to do any good. But just wait 90 minutes afterwards. That's when the cortisol naturally begins to come down. You can push in caffeine and it can actually make a huge difference. It's pretty amazing. The other big thing from an energy perspective that I think is also interesting is looking at what I call energy vampires. We all know who they are. We all have at least one or two or many in our lives that suck the energy out of us. Every time we call them or talk to them, we know uh, we're just going to have to listen and deal with all of this, or they're going to complain a lot, or they're going to be very negative, or they're going to be negative towards you, things like that. So, understanding when to deal with, because you got to deal with those people. You can't avoid them, especially if you're married to one of them. I'm not saying that I am, but lots of people are. So, when you think about it, right, understanding how to deal with those energy vampires becomes a real, a real habit that's worthwhile to understand throughout your daytime. So, picking times when you can go in and deal with that person when you're at a higher energetic level is gonna turn out to be very helpful as well.
1: That's an interesting point, how to deal with emotions um, okay. of others. as a, a powerful. Um...
0: It is, you know, when you really start to think about emotions driving your energy, like we know about fuel, food, right? Intermittent fasting, that's an easy one. Sleep, we've already talked about that in my last book, right? But the emotion and the movement one isn't that hard. We kind of went through it, but the emotional ones, I'm glad you kind of tapped on that one Emotional energy is one of those things that nobody really thinks about, right? But it really has an effect on people. And so really getting an understanding of who those people are or those situations are that kind of push you down in your life and then either avoiding them or going at them at times of your day when you're energetically better makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, when you have high energy, when you have a lot of energy to give, that's a, a stronger place to come from. than if you're at a energy deficit, you know, for me, it'd be around three o'clock. Then it's hard; it's hard to do that. So, and it's also interesting how I get like a new wind of energy in the evening. So it's like at three o'clock right. go through a wall, but then around five thirty six, I'm like, oh, I'm 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 good again. Until bedtime, oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. And and it just depends upon. Sometimes it's just the time thing. So sometimes it's you catching your second wind. Right? right. And you're off and going. But sometimes it you can actually force that second wind. Uh, we mentioned earlier listening to music or laughing rather. Listening to music is another one. Actually, we mentioned about going in your car. So here's the one that happens at my house. So you'll get a kick out of this. So my son, he, he recently moved out, but when he was living with us, he's uh 19 years old. So he's in full on late night wolf chronotype <laughs> mode, right? He was impossible to get up for school. So I turned to him and I said, okay. You've got to get up at 7.15, 7.30, but you can play any music that you want and you can play it as loud as you want just to give him some motivation to bother me because that, that seems to motivate him and, uh, and get him going. So he decides every morning to play the Beastie Boys. You have to fight for your right to party at a mm-hmm. volume of eight every morning. And you know what? We love it everybody's bopping around the house, having a good time, screaming, you got to fight for your right to party, right? Like we're having a great time, but it changes our emotion from, oh, this morning is going to suck. I've got to listen to this loud music. My son is driving me cuckoo to, oh, wow, this is kind of interesting. And so one of the things we know is that listening to music actually increases dopamine and lowers cortisol. Remember cortisol is that fight or flight hormone that gets you jacked. Whereas uh, dopamine is one of the pleasure hormones that starts to calm you down. Laughing does the same thing. Laughing helps release dopamine and serotonin, uh, both helping to calm your energy down when you're in a non-energetic state.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting how certain songs can make you feel certain ways. You walk into a store and there's a great song on all of a sudden you're snapping your fingers, you're in a good mood. And then you walk into another store and it's a sad song or like, you know, different type of song. And all of a sudden you're just feeling all different types of ways. It's, um, that's, powerful. That's, that's probably another thing really powerful to track.
0: And it's fun to track it because once you start to see where it is, you can interject and change it.
1: Before we wrap up here, Michael, I just want to ask, is there anything else that um, you want to share with people listening?
0: Well, absolutely. If you get an opportunity to check out my new book, it's called Energize. Go from dragging ass to kicking it in 30 days. If You go over to energizemyself.com. You can pre-order the book there or you can find it on Amazon. And I just started working with some new products that have given me tremendous energy, and I want to tell you really quickly about them because they're they're pretty cool. My first one is called Nap Jitsu. Yes, it really is called Nap Jitsu, and it's kind of interesting. So, I I think last time I was on your show, we talked about a protocol called a Napa Latte, where you yeah. drink a cup of coffee before take a twenty five minute nap and wake up energized. I, I think we talked about that last time, correct? Yes, yeah, we did. So this takes it one step further. This is like next freaking level nap latte okay? So what you do is there's two pills that come in the pack. One actually helps you fall asleep. A lot of people can't nap during the daytime. They tell me that they're like, you know, I just can't fall asleep. So there's a little bit of valerian, a little bit of magnolia bark in there to sort of settle you down. You sleep for about 25 minutes and then there's 110 milligrams of caffeine. So roughly a cup of coffee and about 600 milligrams of nootropics that Click in online and you are good to go. So L-theanine is one of them. GABA is another one. So you get controlled focus with the caffeine when you wake up. Honestly, dude, you're good for like six hours. It's incredible.
1: If for someone who's very sensitive to caffeine.
0: If you're sensitive to caffeine, I would want you to be very careful with this and maybe take um, less of of the caffeine version or maybe skip the caffeine and create your own little thing of nootropics before a nap.
1: Got it. And for those who aren't familiar, how do you describe nootropics?
0: So nootropics are um, herbal supplements that can actually help people with focus, um, energy and attention. So they're really kind of memory. They call them memory drugs. Um, if you ever saw the that movie Limitless, you know, yeah. when you take the pill and now you can consume everything. To be clear, there's no drugs like that out there. <laughs> but these things are proven to help you with focus and attention. The second product I want to tell you guys about is called Sinusonic, S-I-N-U-S-O-N-I-C. This is a breathing apparatus that's very helpful. So for me, um, when I wake up in the morning, sometimes I have congestion and I want to do breath work in my meditation and it's really hard to do it with a stuffy nose. So I take this thing, it's a device, you just breathe in and out of it. There's no medicine. It's actually an acoustic vibratory device. So what happens is it sends a sound wave in and it helps vibrate your sinuses and as, your, as you push out, when the sinuses are vibrating, it actually clears all the mucus from your sinuses. It's incredible. Developed by two friends of mine who are physicians who uh, in the middle of the night had terrible congestion and started, you know how you clear? You do that valsalva maneuver where you clear your nose and he was humming at the same time and it pop opened up his sinuses. And he was like, I've got to figure out a way to get people to do that. So they made this device called sinusonic. I use it every morning before my meditation and I use it at night so that I don't snore.
1: Awesome. And um your book comes out December 14th for those listening. December who are, 14th. Yeah.
0: I would love people to buy it. If you want, buy 10. If you don't want to buy 10, buy two and give one to somebody that you care about who you think needs energy. Also, I'm on every platform you can imagine at thesleepdoctor.com or just the sleepdoctor.
1: Hey, one more thing before we say goodbye. My goal is to make feeling full the best possible podcast you listen to, and I love your feedback. If you have comments, ideas for future shows, guests, or topics, or just feedback in general, you can email me at m@feelingfull.com. You can also find out more about the show and all the past episodes at feelingfull.com. And if you found this episode valuable, please share it with a friend or leave a review. Until the next episode, take care, be well, and feel full.